Let's stand open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We'll actually read, starting of verse 31 of chapter 14, introducing there chapter 15. Most know the story here. Needs no introduction. This is God's miraculous moment at the Red Sea, one of the most famous moments in all the Scripture. <clears throat> verse 31, the Bible says, Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord. They believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord. And spake, saying, I will sing it to the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, I will prepare him in a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, they sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. With the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. We've been speaking intermittently on equipped for the battle. And this morning I want to talk about being equipped with the right spirit. We see just a few uh, hours earlier, Israel, their response to what God had done. This was God's doing. God had placed them exactly in the middle of this circumstance. How many remember that? Yes. God literally told Moses, you can go east and avoid the Red Sea. That's not my purpose. I want to put you between a rock and a hard spot. I want, you, I want to put you in an impossible situation. So when I deliver you, the, the world knows not just today, but forever. This was God, and this was God alone. Uh, look at how the people responded. They had seen God perform these miracles and the plagues. And now look at the response, verse 10, a response of desperation. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel obviously, naturally responded in the flesh. They lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. We see by the context, this was not a cry that was a prayer of faith, but rather a griping about the circumstances that they found themselves in. Look what it says. They said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us? Moses, you, you just brought us here to get killed. Now, we know uh, there's no way that was the case. Moses is not going to risk everything in life, especially not at this age of life, and simply lead them into a death trap. Moses is saying, I'm following God's orders but they truly, they're so angry, so frustrated with Moses, feeling he is largely responsible for their circumstances. Verse 12, 
is not this the word that we did tell in Egypt, saying, let us alone? Uh, that's not the word that you are saying. You are crying out to be free. And here comes the deliverer, but suddenly your memory isn't amazing what hard times does to the memory. We forget God's goodness. We forget God's promises. We forget our commitments. We begin to complain. Now, here's what I want you to see uh, this morning. We should uh, cry very little and sing a whole lot more. We ought to try singing before we try crying. Now, here's here's what the Word of God says. They were delivered, verse 31. They saw the great work. 15, verse 1, then they say. Now, let me ask you this. You say, Pastor, I'm in the middle of a battle. Pastor, if, if you only knew what I was suffering in my health or dealing with in my family or what my work situation was like, my uh, finances right now, are, they're filling me with fear and trepidation and the political situation, what, whatever you feel overwhelmed by, uh, what we normally do is wait for God's deliverance according to our plans in order to express gratitude for what he has done, past tense. But I have a question for you this morning. How many of you are saved? Okay, so you've been delivered. You should be singing. You're not going to hell. You're born again. You can't even mess this up. You've actually tried to mess this up on several occasions. And you still didn't mess it up, and God still showed mercy and grace and didn't take your salvation and didn't uh, promise you hell. No, he, he not only got you saved, he kept you saved. He's delivered you from a lot of the consequences that you should have received for past sins. He's shown mercy upon you. So you say, Pastor, I'm not delivered. Not from this certain circumstance, but if you're saved, you've already crossed the biggest Red Sea you could cross. And that's by God and God alone, an act of grace, an act of mercy. So, singing should not depend upon your present circumstance, but rather on your first delivery. Right? God pulled you up out of a miry pit and you say, no, I was born and raised in a Christian home. Even that's a miry pit. (laughs) Amen. Most parents don't want to admit that. But that's the grace of God that pulls you up out of that and brings you to a knowledge of salvation and keeps you from a life of hypocrisy and pharisaical spirit. That's only God and the grace of God. But here they come on the other side. And here's what normally creates a joyful heart. It's not the presence of the Holy Spirit because we see the first fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer filled with the Spirit is what? Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Pastor, I'm just not by nature a singer. No, because you're carnal. The Spirit-filled believer sings. Not waiting for a hymn book. Not waiting for a song service. Not waiting for a great song leader or a great song selection. Not waiting to stand close enough to the trumpets where their voice can be drowned out. No, simply waking up and saying, I can sing today despite my health condition. I can sing today despite my marriage, despite my boss, despite my pastor, despite, I was going to say the weather, but the weather's been so beautiful for a week. If you can rejoice in this weather, you can't rejoice. 
But we allow our singing to be conditional based upon the circumstances of life. And guess what? You're never going to sing. Here's what you want to do before you ever get to the real battle. We talk about battles. We've already introduced this. I'm not talking about a singular battle, but the battles of life that one battle after another just seems to stack up upon you and the weight of everything in life is coming crushing down. Uh, it's time to sing. Not once God does something supernatural on your behalf. But before he does the supernatural, now look what happens here. Go with me to verse 3. I want you to see their song because here's what's interesting to me. This is really personal to each one. I would say this is their personal testimony. Look what it says. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord and spake saying, what? I, doesn't say we, says what? I, this is personal. Now, you know why some of you can't sing? It's not your personal testimony. Each one that had come through the Red Sea could, could say, I was just delivered. I just saw the devastation and the destruction of the Egyptians. I just escaped death. Now, if you don't have personal testimony, I'd put on a long face and live as sad as possible because your eternal destiny at this point is hell. That ought to make you sad. But if you've been born again, you've been rescued from sin and death and hell. This book is your guide and the Holy Spirit indwells you and God's giving you a church. That alone is enough to sing. And they said, I will sing. You know what you ought to do? I know... Uh, we're thankful for the Wesleys and the songs that they wrote and Fanny Crosby and so many other incredible hymns. How many of you have ever sung a hymn or read a hymn and focused on the words? And the more you focused, you said, that is truly amazing. It was almost as if it were inspired. It's just truly the impact. And we're not talking about lasting for a couple decades. Some of those songs for centuries all around the world have been sung, the impact to them. This is the first divinely inspired song right here. But you know what you ought to do? You ought to sing a divinely inspired song. Pastor, how can I do that? You have the Holy Spirit of God. How many understand inspiration? And if you have a salvation testimony, you ought to, you ought to go take a walk in the park and sing it. No one's going to worry about the tune. No one's going to worry about whether or not it rhymes. No one's going to criticize the rhythm. You just sing what God, you say, what, Pastor? Yeah, you can become a musician. You can become an artist. You can write the words and the music. If you have a personal testimony, you've got a song to be sung. Your mouth prays to your God for your deliverance. But you know why we can't do that? Because we had a flat tire. Because we were expecting a promotion and got a demotion. Now look what it says. The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. He is my God. I will exalt him. Verse 3, look what it says. The Lord is a man of war. What did we read? 1414, what's it say? The Lord shall what? Fight for you. You ought to put a smile on your face that the Lord is a man of war. 
We have a great God, a great captain, a great general, never lost a single battle. Millenniums. He's not a man. He never voted into office. Can't be impeached or taken out of office. No end of four-year term, six-year term. No term limits with his reign. Nobody's going to stop him. Nobody's going to defeat him. Nobody's even ever worried him. He's never had to make a phone call. Never had to create a base of allies. Never sought the help of other world leaders or nations. Never looked to the United States or their military power to come to his defense. Look what it says, verse 18. The Lord shall what? Reign forever. You know what we do? Whether that's Bible history, world history, United States history. We talk about past presidents. We talk about past world leaders. Whether that's Nebuchadnezzar, Napoleon. It it doesn't matter. For some, Lincoln is the greatest. Now, I'm in favor of that. Only because my grandson is named Lincoln. But if it weren't for my grandson, I'd have a different opinion altogether. I'm not going to argue over who you think is the greatest political leader of all time. I'm telling you who the greatest leader of all time is. He didn't have a 40-year reign. He didn't lose his throne. He never lost his power. Never conquered by another nation. And he is a man of war. Here's what you got to understand. There's a world out there that has lost its mind. And they're trying to go to war. You can't help read the news and it's what nation is trying to provoke what nation and what political leader is going to do something stupid enough to, to light the match, light the fire, and set off a spark that ignites another world war. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not hoping. Aren't you glad that you don't have to hope in Biden? Yes. Aren't you glad that you don't have to put your hope in any of our Senate? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God, despite his age, had never had a problem with dementia? He's never gone to the podium and fumbled and bumbled around with what he was going to say. Not not one time. His word is very clear. And here's what, here's what Moses reminded them in the song. God is a man of war in the greatest army of that day. The Egyptian army comes upon a defenseless people and are defeated. I'm not, I'm not talking about it was a close fight. You know, they, they could have gone either way. It wasn't even fair. Men with no swords, no rifles, no tanks, no horses, children. Pregnant women, they're stuck, they're trapped against the Red Sea. They're desperate. There's no battle cry. They're just weeping, saying, we're all going to die. And then the man of war stepped up. And said, I got a battle plan. And they said, we got this huge body of water. He said, I'm going to take a deep breath. And when I blow this water. Now, have you ever seen man try to redirect water? Have you ever 
seeing them try to build something across water. It's incredible, even with the newest technology, how difficult that task is. And God said, here's what we're going to do. No bridges, no boats, no planes, no trains. Just gonna, I'm just going to breathe from heaven. And I'm going to stack the water up. I'm just going to tell it where to stay with the boundary. You know the water without a boundary has no boundaries. And God said, I am the boundary. And I'm going to breathe so hard, I'm going to take that wet ground and dry it out. And I'm going to supernaturally sweep you across lengths that no group could travel in a night. And then I'm going to herd the enemy in. And I'm just going to call them into place. And then I'm going to tell the water, you don't have a boundary anymore. And I'm going to baptize them in deep water. (laughs) Do you understand how silly we look in our panic Knowing that we have a God. If, if you have to fight for it yourself, you need to get panicked. Okay, just, just go have a heart attack. Yes, sir. But if you have a God that is fighting for you, watch people, but my reputation is being smeared and destroyed. And what about this? And what about that? Have you ever heard of a God in heaven that can fight for you? Now, if you don't have a God in heaven, and if you're on the wrong side, but his name is the Lord. First four Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast. He has no problem casting them into the sea. Now, let me ask you this. Here's the greatest army known to man. These chariots and horses. Do, do you think... If I told you with today's technology, I want you to find a way to cast that army as a body into the sea. Tell me what your plan is. Are you going to get them in the deep water? You're going to get them all. Now, they're pretty smart. They're not going to get that close. They're not going to jump in. They're not going to roll their tanks into the Red Sea. What's your plan of attack? And God said, I'm just going to... Cast them in. And church, I don't care what physical ailment you're dealing with. I don't care what the depths of your problem are. God, at any point, as he sees fit, can take those enemies. Like, Like kids do with play soldiers. They can put them in a tree. They can put them in a fishbowl. They can put them under the mattress or they can throw them out in the woods. Did you know God takes less effort and energy to do that with his enemies than a 10-year-old does that with plastic soldiers? If you ever considered this would have been impossible at any time by any world leader, and I don't care if it was MacArthur or Napoleon, we've never seen a military leader take an opposing army and just say, I'm going to throw them in the sea. And they sank. 
like a stone. Verse 6. Thy right hand. How many like boxing? When I was young, I grew up watching Mike Tyson. Now, he wasn't much uh, in the sense of a decent human being, but he was an incredible boxer. And if you ever got, we, we watched so many. I, I remember as a kid, all these braggarts. And you're talking about some of the best boxers on the planet. They'd stand up and they'd say they were going to do this to Mike. And, they saw, and as soon as they stepped in the ring, literally, I've never seen this in all my life watching boxing. They would literally get a look of fear on their faces. And the first time they got hit, I remember guys like Spinks who were recognized on a worldwide level as some of the best. And within 90 seconds, they're laying, they're, they're laying, they, they were dancing. Now they're laying there and someone's trying to wake them up. They're not going to continue. They just want to make sure they're alive. They just make sure their heart's beating and their lungs are breathing. They, they just want to make sure their brain is still functional because that right hand, one blow, one punch, lights out. You know why we panic? We don't understand there's a God in heaven with a right hand a whole lot more serious than any right hand any boxer's ever had. Amen. With thy right hand. Look what it says in verse 12. Thou stretchest out thy right hand in the earth. One minute they existed. You could have taken a picture. They're still looking for evidence. I remember a few years ago, they thought they found a picture of one of the chariot wheels in the Red Sea. And you know what I said? I doubt it. Because God said, the earth. (laughs) Hell opens its mouth and swallowed them. And an army that was so visible that it terrified the nation disappeared in the blink of an eye. Because God's right hand opened up the earth. Go to have you ever taken your right hand, you put it on a hoe, and you tried to open the earth enough to plant a seed? And after 45 minutes, your right hand said, I'm done. Right? How many thought you were going to change the spark plugs? You busted your knuckles quicker than you removed those spark plugs, and you said, no wonder mechanics make so much money. Your right hand tapped out. Right? How many of you ever been to that stage of life? You looked down, you saw your right hand doing this. Mm -hmm. Let me me tell you about someone who's not 100 years old. Not 1,000 years old. You think... You think age would have done something to him, but it has done absolutely none, done nothing to his power or his right hand. Look what it says, verse 8. With the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap. Now, some of you teenagers that are blowhards and you, you talk a big game, 
you, you know, Pastor Ben, I do you, Pastor, I'll take you out here to a creek. Say, let's just split those waters. Take you out to a dry Texas brook with just a trickle of water. Go, just try to part that. Sure. Just, just, just hold that up. Heap it up. And God took the Red Sea. Are, are you with me this morning? I got to know you're with me to move forward. Now, here's what, here's what God does. He always lets the enemy talk. Verse 9. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My love shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Now, here comes this great army. It's easy to talk big when your opponent is this weak. Okay, you're talking about people that have been slaves. They have absolutely no way to defend themselves. Humanly speaking, death is guaranteed. These people are going to die. They're either going to have to jump in the Red Sea and be drowned or they're going to be killed. So obviously, when the, when the enemy is bragging, this is not a fair fight. But here's what they're saying. We're going to smoke them. This is not even going to be a contest. Obviously not. You're the ones with weapons. You are the army with experience. They are not even an army. They're a ragtag bunch of slaves that have just been freed from your land. And God says, let them talk. Look what it says. Verse 10. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank is led in the mighty water. Even the best of swimmers, God said, don't tell me that great army of athletes. There weren't a few that could at least tread water and do their best to try to make it to shore. And on the way down, they saw their buddies that couldn't swim and they passed them. Is God. Mm-hmm. Put a little lead in their ankles. Verse 11. Here's their song, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious and holiness, fearful and praises, doing wonders. Now, here's what he's going to do, verse 13. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed, and thou, oh, look at how their perspective changed. Their song, thou art great, glorious and holiness. To be exalted. You guided us. That's not what you were saying a couple hours ago. How could you let this happen to us? Who messed up the GPS? I can't believe you took us right down here to a barrier that's uncrossable. Now, here's God's purpose. Always not to guide us to, but to guide us through. Now, look what it says in verse 19. For the horses, for the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots, with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. That same body of water that they thought was their destruction was meant to be the destruction of their enemies. Whatever it is, your face is not to be for your destruction, that it's not God's purpose. Now, let me ask you this as we look at a few things here. If, if they were about ready to go into the desert 
Okay, well, let's just think about the basics. You're going to march in the desert. What do, you, what do you need if you're going to march in the desert? Water? Food? Sunscreen? I mean, we're just talking the basics here. Verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness. They found no water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. But what does God do here? He heals the water for the next 40 years. Water out of the rock. What does God do? God provides them water. Look what it says, chapter 16, verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like, Coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded to fill no more of it. God would provide them every day with food to last them 40 years in their journey through the wilderness. What about that great cloud during the day to protect them from being fried to a crisp from that desert sun? God had it all totally taken care of. Now go with me to Exodus 14, 13. Let me just make a couple simple points and we're done. Number one, I don't think I can be more simple, but if you're going to have the right spirit in the middle of the battle, you are going to have to trust him. We can't get any more basic than that. When, when our spirit is awry, it's because our trust has failed. Whatever battle it is that you're facing, if you don't go back to the power of God and the grace of God and the sovereignty of God, there's a trust failure there. Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, for he will show you today. Now, here's what you want to be careful of. We as Christians in heaven habit we like talking about we as pastors do this the bible principle what we should do and then when the crisis hits our focus is all upon the egyptians it's amazing how few egyptians it takes to eliminate our faith i mean they were seeing them from a distance but just the the dust from the chariots of the egyptians were causing these people to weep and shake make fools of themselves Here's what I've always thought about this group. Men are supposed to be spiritual leaders. Moses is really the only one that's standing strong. I wonder what those dads did the next day to reassure their family that they were a spiritual leader because they'd been out there shaking and weeping and crying and it's all over and I can't believe this man and why did this happen to us? And there's their wives and children saying, hey, dad, you okay? How do you recover from that? You know what you want to do, especially if you're a spiritual leader, you want to say, okay, I am not going to focus on the Egyptian. I got to understand, church, this is just a simple, plain and simple reminder this morning that God has always been in charge of every single detail and there's nothing Satan do. There is nothing Satan can do to thwart God's plans. Absolutely nothing. How many understand that? In your personal life, in, in, in our nation, I don't care who the leaders are. I understand that Satan is the God of this universe. We understand we're marching towards uh, the tribulation. We, we understand we're going to be raptured out. But until then, how bad might things get? We understand those things. But it's never changed God's purpose. 
in the large-scale picture, and it doesn't change anything individually in the life of the believer, God's plan cannot be thwarted. It's that simple. Now, here's what you want to do. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 14. You want to do your best to see things from God's perspective. That's going to help you out. Let me just, before we read this, I want to remind you of Psalms 135.6. The Bible says, What's her the Lord pleased? That did he in heaven, in earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. God does exactly what he pleases to do. Look what it says. 14 verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking of the children of Israel that they turn in and camp, he tells them exactly where to camp, and that's right before the sea, verse 3. For Pharaoh will say the children of Israel there entangled the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Everybody's going to understand. They are boxed in, and then will I harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to follow after him. Why? What was his purpose? I will be honored. So who's the only one that's not crying? Moses. Why is he not crying? He knows the game plan. He knows the battle plan. He has God's perspective. Now, church, we're talking about when we go into the battles of life, we can cry or we can sing. Most are not singing. You know why? We don't have God's perspective. We're looking from down here and it looks bad. He, he's looking from a different angle and saying, this is my battle plan. This is what I already planned. There's none, none of this has caught me off guard. No one's response or lack of response has caught me off guard. I know exactly what I'm doing. And until we say, God, would, would you help me share your perspective? So instead of crying and sweating and living tense and frustrated. Now, let me say number three. You want to rejoice a little bit more over what God has done and worry a little bit less. Just, just, if, if you just said, I'm going to wake up today and just, just five minutes, five minutes. Now, we're not setting the bar very high. Five minutes. I'm just going to sing a personal song. I'm going to rejoice in what God is doing in my life. I'm going to pause my complaint five minutes. Let me ask you this. If you're going to gripe all day, wouldn't, wouldn't you at least consider interrupting the complaint with five minutes of rejoicing? It might alter your complaint time. What if you started with five minutes considering the goodness of God? Now, here's what's amazing. That, that God accepted this song, recorded it to be sung at a later date, when he could have been frustrated and said, well, say what? Oh, now that I did all these miracles and you gripe and complaining and talking about how bad I was and how awful my plan was, when actually it was a perfect plan. Now, if I were God, I would have left the water like this deep. You bunch of gripers wade. Wade, if you don't think I can do it, wade your way through. No, he still made dry land. I would have waited until the Egyptians, you know, got all the way up to the very edge with their swords. And then said, okay, 
flaps cakes. God didn't do any of that. That's the mercy of God on the worry ward. Have you ever thought about God's grace on you with all the worry you've done? You're just sitting there. You don't accept that with your children. If your children live like you do, they wake up in the morning and they come to the table and say, oh boy, I just hope there's food today. I hope there's something in the fridge. I hope there's something decent to eat. I hope someone has the strength to cook this. I hope there's gas in the car. We make it to the school and I hope that I have a backpack. I hope we don't crash. You would look at that child and say, what is your problem? Can you take a chill pill? Isn't it amazing that God never looked at us and says, hey, take a chill pill. Take a good dose of faith and live it for a day. Now, go with me to Revelation 15 and we're done. This hymn is going to be sung again. Let's just take a look at the circumstances. Let's put it into context. Revelation 15.1. How many understand the context, the context of Revelation? We're not just talking about the last days. We're talking about the time between the rapture and the second coming. A seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. And here's what happens. Verse 1, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. This is the second half of the tribulation, and it's going to get bad. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast. That's the Antichrist over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, they stand on the sea of glass. They're playing harps. And they sing what? The song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are the works, uh, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Now, church, let me just remind you, we're not living in the tribulation. How many are thankful for that? How many are thankful for the rapture? How many of you are ever comforted just by the thought of the rapture? You didn't even have to read the verse. You just looked around at this world and said, you know what? I'm so thankful one of these days I'm going to leave this watch and these glasses behind. This car and you can have it all. This suit can be laying on a chair. I want it to be the right place. I've talked to the Lord about that. I would like to be talking to a group of unbelievers about the rapture when it happens. And like 45 or 50, and tell them they're just all sitting there all skeptical. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. You're just going to disappear in the blink of an eye. Everything be left behind and then, bam, it happens. That's, that's the way I want to go. I don't know, I don't know if he's going to help me with that one or not, but... But can you imagine these people? You want to talk about someone having cause to worry? If you're in the tribulation and suddenly you understand salvation, you get born again, you know you've got a target on you, most likely you're going to die. If you're identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't take the mark. And the reason they're in heaven planting harps is because they have been killed for their faith, but they went out victorious because God said, hey, hold on for a second. Uh, we're going to sing him. Page number one. 
in all of heaven says we don't even need the hymn book for that one. We got that one down. And the same song those million and a half Jews sang after they were delivered from Pharaoh. You take a million and a half delivered from Pharaoh and however many millions are saved during the tribulation that are delivered from the Antichrist. And God says, we're going to let this group sing the first verse. Acapella. And then we'll join in. You know what I would do? Why don't you go ahead and rehearse before you get there? Better be thankful God's more merciful than this pastor, because if I were in heaven, I'd say, hey, you couldn't even sing. You couldn't sing in Capital City. Just, just stand in the back and watch the choir this round. But God's going to let you sing and you're going to have a voice that's rich and powerful and for his glory. Now, church, before we ever get in the battle, here's what we got to do. We have to dig a rut. I've never seen a rut. We used to, Jeep up in the mountains called Rattle and it would rain so often those Jeeps you know, you t- the, the roads are so narrow and the ruts are so deep, you're just driving, uh, doing everything possible to keep that Jeep out of that rut. And you ought to have some established spiritual ruts in your life, and one of those ruts ought to be praise. And you can't stay out of that. I mean, you just, it's like you always fall back in that same rut. What happened to you today? I woke up with the spirit of praise again. And I wasn't even going to praise him, and then I just fell in the rut, and I just started praising him again. And I told myself, I'm not going to sing all day, and then I started singing like at 9 o'clock. The same way you do with, I'm not going to eat today, and then 10 minutes later, your face is in the fridge. Uh-huh. Say, God, I, I want to establish this so before I ever get into the battle, I just... Have the habit of singing about what you've done in my life.